Welcome to Tomorrow's People, the podcast brought to you by Personio and me, Perry Timms. Everything starts with people. And the people we have on this podcast are broad, diverse, interesting and entrepreneurial. And the entrepreneurial link is to my guest uh, today on this episode, Rajib Day, MBE, co-founder of Learnably. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Perry. Great to be here. And and our connection goes back to your entrepreneurial, I guess you'd say sort of non-executive times when I was at the Big Lottery Fund and there was a connection to that. And so much seems to have happened since, right? Absolutely. Yeah, my, my own entrepreneurial journey started very young when I was, since I was 17. Wow. Um, when I started my first uh, social enterprise for school students around giving nice. them a voice in their education called Student Voice. Wow. Um, I got involved with Unlimited, the Foundation for Social Entrepreneurs. Obviously, Unlimited did a lot of work with the Big Lottery Fund. Yeah. Um, so that's probably when we first kind of yeah. connected. Um, I subsequently was on the board of Unlimited for 10 years, supporting other social entrepreneurs. Wow. And so, my yeah, my journey really started from there. Yeah. And I've never looked back since. And, and and I guess it's really an exciting world, but also something that people probably have a very sort of media-led version of entrepreneurialism now because of things like Dragon's Den and so on and so forth. But it sounds like you've been in that world for quite some time. Has it changed much? Has it shifted? Is it different? Yeah, I think it has. And I mean, firstly, I think awareness of entrepreneurship as a career path has definitely right. improved uh, and, and it's just on people's radars. And I think you, yeah. you quoted Dragon's Den. I think yeah. that's been both a blessing and a curse. Right. I think from mainstream media awareness and even, you know, seeing The Apprentice shifted yeah. format from being yeah. an employee to being a business partner. Mm. Uh, it did, however, I think give entrepreneurship slightly a bad name as well. Okay. So I think there's a feeling that, you know, these angel investors, they're yeah. going to be taking 50%, 60% of your company and, and people have slightly warped view around what it what it is actually like being an entrepreneur yeah. and raising money. But I think overall, in terms of raising awareness, it has yeah. been useful. Yeah. I mean, part of the premise of my first venture um, after Student Voice, the school student organization, uh, the one I set up at uh, yeah. university was called Internships. Right. It was about entrepreneurial internships. Okay. It's about showing university students that entrepreneurship and working in a startup is a yeah. viable career path. Right. Uh, and because, you know, on campus, there was no exposure to working in a startup right. or a fast growth company. It was going to banking, law, yeah. accounting, the major big professions. Yeah. Uh, now that has definitely changed. And I think um, if you speak to a lot of yeah. students at university, they will aspire to either yeah. work in a startup or be an entrepreneur. And so yeah. that's really positive change that I've yeah. definitely noticed over the last, you know, 10, 15 yeah. years. And I'm glad you say that because I think it's perhaps gone through a hype cycle where it was a very glamorized thing and everybody thought overnight I'll be a YouTuber and earn millions, right? I think people have realized there are some hard yards, there are some lessons and you talked about internships. And I think the whole concept of experience is much more valued now. Is that something that you have um, been pleased to see and have kind of been active in that world? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole premise of internships was to connect students and graduates to startups and SMEs. Yep. These make up the lifeblood of our economy, yeah. but you don't see them on campus. They don't have right. the brands of the Goldmans, the McKinsey's that yeah. the, the, the come on campus and do the milk round, but there are millions of them out yeah. there. And so for me, the premise was, you know, if you can't, if you want to be an entrepreneur, the best thing yeah. to do other than start your own business is to work in a startup yeah. or a small company. Uh, and so the whole premise was about connecting students to these yeah. work experience and internship opportunities in these startups and small yeah. companies. So I'm all in favor of actually broadening access to yeah. work opportunities and yeah. experience. Obviously, promoting paid work experience is sure. really important. Yeah. And now we've seen the big push towards the apprenticeship agenda yeah. as well, which is obviously very encouraging yeah. as well. I think the more experience you can get early on, just to really broaden your perspectives. Yeah. 
the better yeah. um, so that you recognize that, you know, there are many different opportunities out there and you don't have to just take a job. Yeah. You can make a job at the same yeah. time. That's a real subtle difference, but a very important, I guess, symbolizer for people, isn't it, about making a job? And I guess there are SMEs who might find it difficult to go to the recruitment market, whereas if there's much more of a, almost like a pipeline of people aware and ready to work in that environment... And I think one of the things about um, SMEs particularly, but but entrepreneurial startups is you have to put your arms around a lot and learn a lot very quickly, don't you? And I'm guessing that's your experience starting so young without necessarily having been taught something. You have to kind of pick it up. Yeah. I mean, the first thing about being an entrepreneur, I would say, is being uncomfortable with uncertainty. Yeah. I think the education system really does condition us to... Yeah. Um, think that we we go from school to university yeah. to then this graduate job yeah. and I'm, I'm in a framework and yeah. I have to go on to the next ladder, yeah. next rung on the ladder. Yeah. But really life is not like that. Yeah. And, and there's, it's full of uncertainty. It, yeah. is, it is uncertain. And I think entrepreneurship is, is, is a training and a boot camp for that. And you yeah. have to really embrace the uncertainty yeah. and, and recognize that you won't have a grand plan. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a concept that you have to have this amazing business plan before you start and whatnot, yeah. but it's really not like that. And no. in this day and age, particularly with technology, it's yeah. all about you know, having an idea, having yeah. what they call a minimum viable product, just prototyping something, testing it out, iterating, changing. And that's okay. You don't have to have the grand master plan. I guarantee you the thing you start with is not going to be the thing you end with. And you will go through all sorts of kind of ups and downs on that journey, but you have to be prepared to go on that ride. So uncertainty obviously is a key consideration and being comfortable with that. And some would say ambiguity and the complexity of it all. I think there's something really nice about early exposure to that. That I think came a bit further down in my career. So I like the fact that that's there earlier. I suppose the other thing I'm thinking about that is people sometimes kind of think about it as side hustle or hustle culture. And within that, it feels like it's a very all-encompassing, totally dominant thing where, you know, it's long hours, it's complete obsession and cut off social life. Um, I mean, what's been your experience of of the demands, I suppose you'd say, psychologically and on the time you have? I think there's two things there. There's, there's talking about the side hustle. Yeah. I think um, that is actually a good way of developing an entrepreneurial mindset. So if you do have a nine to five job, yeah. there is an opportunity to do the five to nine yeah. and actually do something on the side passion to kind of play. passion yeah. play. Exactly. Do something yeah. on the side to like, see, is this going to work out if yeah. you're not ready to make the jump? Yeah. But when you are ready to make the jump, yeah. I think it is all encompassing. It's right. not necessarily, there's not good or bad, but I think no. it's just by very nature of entrepreneurs, they yeah. can become quite obsessive by what yeah. they do. Yeah. So it's a very hard question when you ask about, you know, work-life yeah. balance, because yeah. the question is actually, I'm so passionate about what I do. It kind yeah. of blends into one. Yeah. So yes, early on in, when I was first starting out, yeah. it, it was it were, there were very long hours involved, yeah. Yeah. but it, it didn't ever feel like work. And I think for me, Different. when you when you're yeah. passionate about what you do, you don't feel like no. it's a Confucius quote. I think when you yeah. when you find what you're passionate about, you don't you know don't we'll work never work a day, a day in your life. life. Yeah. So that really resonates with, with me. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it's not that, that you have to do that. Yeah. And, and I think for us, one of our values is around growing sustainably and making nice. sure that you're not yeah. burning out or, yeah, or sure. really putting all in. But yeah. I think as the initial founder and entrepreneur, you yeah. will have to work hard. Yeah. And, and, yeah. But you will probably, that in, 
that kind of inner drive is what sure. really kind of gets you through yeah. the tough times. I guess no more different to, uh, you know, learning in sixth form or uh, university and having a part-time job where you've got to earn some income, that kind of thing. I mean, it's probably not that different. I guess what I'm sensing, and it, it feels like this, is the stress is different. It's like an inner drive rather than an outward compression. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely the intrinsic motivation yeah. to succeed. There's no one telling you no. that you have to work till no. X amount of no. hours and you have yeah. to do that. It's, it's the excitement, it's the passion yeah. it, that you want to succeed. You want to see yeah. that idea come yeah. out. You want to get feedback. Yeah. That's what's driving it. And obviously, that is not for everyone. No. And you don't. there is not one size no. fits all in terms of entrepreneurship. There's no. very different models of doing sure. things. Um, and so I wouldn't want to give the impression that you have to be no. kind of all in and, and, yeah. and you burn yourself out. Yeah. That's absolutely not yeah. the case. But as you say, that they... When you're doing something you're really passionate about, you, you genuinely find it in a yeah. strength yeah. that makes you propels you forward yeah. and makes you want to work on what you're doing. It feels like momentum is a really important thing and, and and it does feel like it is a kind of foot to the floor thing, but it's about being safe and mm-hmm. so on. Uh, the interesting thing I'm thinking uh, about now is um, experiences you've had perhaps where you know you have those unexpected outcomes or the things that, that you have to bounce off and that aren't quite where you want them to be. I mean, I don't know if you develop mechanisms for, for handling in those kind of things? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I think resilience goes hand in hand with yeah. being comfortable with uncertainty. Right. So you just have to know that things are not going to go to plan. Yeah. Okay. I'm quite a spiritual person as well. So okay. I, I genuinely think things happen for a reason yeah. for my best. Okay. And I think that gives me a lot of yeah. inner strength and hope. Yeah. So that, that yeah. you know, if things don't go my way, no. generally I look back and it has worked out for the best. Yeah. And I think that's the only way. Otherwise you would kind of drive yourself mad if you yeah. th- you've always think like, this is my plan, I'm going to go from yeah, A yeah, to B. Yeah. And actually you end up at C. Yeah. But actually if you think a step back, yeah. C is where you need to be yep. and it actually ends up being better than B anyway. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I think that resilience, however, wherever that comes from yeah. is essential as an entrepreneur yeah. because there will be ups and downs and yeah. it will not be a straight path to success. And that's a bit attitudinal and perhaps a bit learned experience. Right? Yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it, it, it comes from, as you say, the, the, the experience, but yeah, yeah it, it's your mindset. And I think yeah. a lot of it is is that also with that growth mindset yeah. and that that can-do attitude yeah. and and what's the worst that will happen and and thinking about every opportunity as an opportunity to learn so yeah. abdul kalam one of the previous presidents of of india uh, said that a fail it's a f a i l stands for first attempt in learning I love that. so there's actually no for me there is no concept no. of failure yeah. so i just look at that well that didn't go to plan yeah. but actually i've learned something from it so yeah. I, I don't see as no. failure seems very binary and 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 definitive yeah. whereas actually i see an entrepreneurial journey as as, as a journey. Yeah, yeah, and so there's there are different kind of steps along yeah. that and things may not go to plan, but that doesn't mean it's a failure. No. And it's how you respond to those yeah. um, kind of roadblocks that may come yeah. in your way that really define you and nice. make you as an entrepreneur. I like that you quoted where the first attempt at learning came from because I didn't know that. So thank you for that. I've also heard it as an outcome you didn't expect. Because mm-hmm. I guess you don't headlong go into failure, do you? You kind of think, I'm taking a bit of a punt, but I'm hopeful that this is the right thing that it'll do. And if it's not, you kind of go, oh, well, it wasn't, but I've learned that now. Yeah. Edison and the 200 and whatever versions of the light bulb. Exactly. And I found out recently that WD-40 had 39 versions that didn't oh, work. really? Yeah, okay. there you go. Brilliant, so, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always wondered why it was called that. <laughs> now, um, Learnably yep. is where you are now, and I guess that occupies most of your time Absolutely. now. Yep. 
Uh, how did that evolve, and 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 kind of what what's it what's it looking like and doing yeah. for the world now? Absolutely. I'm really interested in that. So it started from my experience of having helped thousands of companies hire people with internships that my previous company. Yep. Uh, these were startups, scale ups, yep. SMEs. They didn't have large people teams. Right. They didn't have learning and development functions. Right. They wanted to support their employees to learn and grow. Um, but didn't know how. And also I recognize that there's no quality control in professional development. So Ooh. anyone can be a coach, anyone can be a trainer, Ooh. nothing stopping us setting something up yeah, today and, yeah. and pretending we know about X topic and yeah. having a glossy Wix website and off right. we go. So it was a kind of combination of those things that made that led to me creating Learnably, which is a curated marketplace of the ah. best personal professional development opportunities. Yeah. Um, and we also you know, recognize that people learn very differently. Yep. So you may like physical books. I might like listening to a podcast yep. or uh, watching a video or yep. getting a coach. Yeah. But when you look at the status quo in, in workplace learning, it's very kind of just e-learning based. And yeah. typically you'll have a generic provider, maybe it's a LinkedIn learning, whoever it might be, uh -huh. but typically employers will bemoan the fact they get very poor levels of engagement. Right. And it's not surprising because that's just one yeah. form of learning. Yeah. So instead with Learnably, you have a marketplace of over 250 of the world's best providers. Wow. So whether that be books, coaching, courses, conferences, yep. podcasts, articles, yep. videos, yep. however you like to learn, we have a provider for you. Right. And then it means that the employer doesn't have to manage relationships with five, six different vendors, they can just yeah. have Learnably. And if someone wants to do one module on an e-learning provider, if they want to do get three books, or they want to get a, go to a conference or they want to get a coach, all of that can be done through Learnably, right. which means we see super high levels of activation and engagement. Right. So over 95% of employees yeah. use their platform, use the accounts, yeah. and between 40 and 60% of them will use it every month. Yeah. So it's a very different way of 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 tackling learning and development and yeah. very much employee driven, which enables them to kind of hit their own personal yeah. and, and business goals at the same time. I would have loved that <laughs> back in the day because I think I've always followed a sort of curiosity led version of learning. But I guess sometimes in the uh, corporate world, you seem to get a kind of curriculum or a catalogue imposed upon you, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's very much been, a, I think learning and development has been um, seen as a, as a compliance yeah. thing. It's like a tick, tick box, yeah. which is what it's no surprise that actually, yeah. I think an HBR report said that 75% of managers um, are dissatisfied with their company's yeah. L&D, despite $360 yeah. billion dollars globally spent yeah. on workplace learning. Yeah. Um, but what we're saying is actually, if you can empower them, give them a stipend, give them a yeah. budget, let them spend on what they want to learn based on nice. what they need yeah. and how they like to learn. Yeah. Um, and really also demonstrate the investment you're making. Because yeah. it's not that when you subscribe to these different providers, you are spending a lot of money, yeah. but people don't value what they can't see. Good point. And it's like a buffet, right? Yeah. And we, there's no yeah. opportunity cost to for you to engage with the content or not engage with yeah. it. But when you give them a personal stipend or when they have a team budget, something that they yeah. can engage with through the marketplace, yeah. they're making a conscious decision that oh. do I want to get three months access to yeah. Pluralsight? Do I want to buy one book? Yeah. Do I want to get this one e module? Yeah. Because they are utilizing a stipend that's been yeah. given to them and therefore they're more conscious about that and therefore they're more likely mm. to use it and you get a better return on investment. So it's a very different mindset to the status quo of I will tell you what to do and it will be yeah. just this 
e-learning provider. And I guess there's some discovery on the individual's part there that probably isn't so compact to the organisation's, like I say, catalogue or even set of competencies maybe. So if they did want to start looking at entrepreneurial skills, they could use that to do so and maybe learn in a different way. That sounds great. And I think there's something, isn't there, about empowering, which is a word I don't often like, but in this case I think it's right, empowering the individual to go, it's my learning, I'm going to take the responsibility and know what it looks like in investment terms. Yeah, absolutely. I think employees do want guidance. And I think it's important to recognise that uh, in a world where people want to progress in their career, it's well, all well and good having career frameworks and yeah. um, having personal development plans, but they they often will tell you what you need to do. So going from a level two to level three engineer, it will say, improve your stakeholder management. Okay, great. Now, how am I going to do that? So that's where learnably comes in. It tells you the how to the what. And so connecting your learning and your progression goals to uh, actual uh, content and opportunities is is where we kind of specialize. Now, the other benefit of this approach is that you can, from a retention perspective, you can see where's the head out of your employee. So Uh, if you've got someone in sales who suddenly is requesting content on Learnably about design or about, you know, marketing, whatever it might be, a good manager would have a conversation and say, what is it that's triggering you to want to learn this? Rather than just be kind of very narrow-minded and say, okay, you're in sales, you must just have sales-related kind of content. Um, Because if you want to retain that person, you should talk to them about, actually, is there an opportunity for you to move laterally into an area like design? Do we have a a junior role within that department? If not, let's talk about that. But by having the conversation, you can actually ensure that you both engage and yeah. retain your your, your star performers yeah. rather than looking at them in a very narrow yeah. scope of, yeah. I know you because you're a salesperson, therefore you're only ever yes. going to develop in that particular vertical. Mm. This podcast is brought to you by Personio. Personio is the all-in-one HR solution for now and the future. We help HR teams recruit, onboard, manage, pay and develop employees more efficiently. And our easy-to-use solution works across every part of the employee lifecycle. Automate your people processes and gain time back for more impactful work, like creating your people strategy. After all, everything starts with people. To find out what Personio can do for you and your business, head to personio.com. That's P-E-R-S-O-N-I-O dot com. I think that talks to something I'm picking up, which is about the demand for versatility. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that there's a, a, a recognition, shall we say, that expertise and accreditation and professional vocation absolutely has a part to play. But the world seems to be saying, but that's not enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that the sort of mood you're picking up about the sort of versatility, lateral and and, and, and almost like non um straight up career path yeah i yeah. mean absolutely so you know we, we hear this terminology of like the t-shaped skills yeah. and having that kind of both the breadth mm. as well as that depth mm. and i think it's really important particularly if you work in tech particularly mm. in in fast growth startup environments yeah. things are changing around you you mm. really need to reinvent yourself all the time and your ability mm. to scale yourself as a company scales around you yeah. is really important and you can only do that if you're versatile because yeah. there will come a point where you will then otherwise plateau and then yeah. the, the company will just grow beyond you and you'll have to move on so the ability to really reinvent yourself learn new skills all the time and adapt and be agile is is critical yeah and i think that talks a lot as you um were uh, pointing out in your answer about the kind of motivation and the interest and the stimulus that people have in their roles so I'm, i'm hoping that people listening to this might be thinking hang on i've got a retention issue 
because people are going to discover a career opportunity elsewhere. But what could I have done to to create something internally for that? Even if you're small, yeah. there's an opportunity, right, to say, let's diversify. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important that you're clear with employees early on around progression. Yeah. I think um, personal and professional growth is one yeah. of those core drivers why, yeah. for, for employee engagement, but also why people leave. Yeah. And so showing that actually there is a path within the business, but it may not necessarily just be a promotion. And that's why actually developing and investing in their development is equally, if not more important sometimes, particularly in the current climate, where you see that the, the market is tight, you yeah. might have a hiring freeze at the moment. Yep. You might not have to just bring in whatever headcount you need. So you need to invest in upskilling, reskilling yeah. the people you've already got and yeah. showing them there are other opportunities. You may not necessarily just to promote them upwards, but actually sure. investing in them to learn skills laterally and yeah. grow laterally is actually a smart way of retaining yeah. your top performance. Yeah. And I guess the, the whole thirst for knowledge and mastery, all those things kind of come through, don't they? Because as humans, we're often in that space, aren't we? We're, we're often like, if I'm understimulated, why is that? If I've, like you said, plateaued, what is next for me? And, and it isn't always out the door, is it? So um, I really Yeah, I mean, that. it goes back to, you know, the, the, the Dan Pink stuff and mastery, yeah. autonomy and purpose, right? Yeah. So giving them the autonomy to really take control yeah. of their career, but yeah. allowing them to have that mastery yeah. and, and feeling that broader sense of purpose is, yeah. is, is Very nice. essential. Yeah. So um, if we think back to, to people in an education environment at the moment, I guess they will be thinking, hang on, I'm going into a world of work where it's very uncertain. Mm -hmm. Economic fragility is rife. Companies I see about and I might have admired and wanted to work there are downsizing. They might feel a little bit of trepidation about stepping into the world of work, but would they then think perhaps entrepreneurialism might be for them? Yeah, absolutely. I think entrepreneurship should always be seen as a as a viable and rewarding career path. Yeah. But I think firstly, it's important to be on your radar, but it's also not necessarily going to be for everyone. I think, yeah. you know, we, we recognize that it, it, it does take a certain kind of uh, mindset and skill set. And, it, and, and yeah. also, you know, you're not necessarily going to be earning money no. from day one. So you need to have that financial yeah. either safety net or support sure. around you to be able to kind of yeah. you know, invest in yourself to actually yeah. develop something. Yeah. But I think it's also important to recognize that there is no concept of a safe job in this day and no. age like you, you've seen companies of all shapes and sizes yeah. laying people off it's not yeah. just working in a startup it's super sure. risky therefore i want to go for a big brand yeah. because we've seen in the climate that's simply not the case yeah. so i think what's important is to be clear about what motivates you what's your yeah. purpose yeah. um is that being an entrepreneur is that starting your own thing yeah. is that being an entrepreneur is that working yeah. in an entrepreneurial environment yeah. or is it about joining a bigger cause yeah. and ultimately for me it's about being passionate about what you do. Yeah, as long as you yeah. enjoy what you do, you're learning, you're growing. It doesn't matter what yeah, that is. Yeah. As long as you, it's enough to kind of yeah. uh, sustain yourself, yeah. that's the most kind of important thing in, in, yeah. in my perspective. Sounds like you were describing the concept of Igikai. Yes. Um, so Absolutely. if anybody wants to have a look at that, I'm sure they'll find that it's like, yeah, he just talked about all those kind of things. Yeah. And, and, and we do hear, don't we, that people are attracted to mission-led or very purposeful organisations, again, of whatever size. Have, have you experienced, because of the sort of closeness of SMEs, that the mission is almost like a daily breathing thing to them? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. as a, as a founder-led company, and if you're working in a startup SME, you have a lot of exposure to the founding team. Um, it's yeah. important that you know, you're not going to have the brands of the big yeah. companies to attract people. Yeah. So you need to be clear about what you stand for right. to be able to attract 
those people yeah. and then retain them because you know it's going to be hard and, and things, yeah. there's going to be ups and downs and so yeah. if you're part, if you feel part of a bigger mission yeah. and there's a bigger picture and it's some a north star to rally towards yeah. it really help motivate your employees yeah. attract them and retain them for the long yeah. run and i think there's something then that connects to a sense of fulfillment uh, and I, and it's funny, you know, because I don't often like to use the word happiness at work because I think some of that has been a bit hijacked. But I do like the concept of joy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't know how you feel about that kind of spectrum or triangulation of fulfillment, joy, happiness, however it might be. But in your experience within the SME and the learning environment, I mean, how, how do those things feature and play? Yeah, I think for me, you know, we've, we've been very strong in terms of the, the culture and, and the values of the business yeah. and re- being able to bring your whole self to work yeah. and and not having to like think oh it's monday i'm signing yeah. work like you really want to feel a sense yeah. of belonging and yeah. and we've really invested heavily in and our people function at learnably nice. making sure people feel kind of engaged yeah. and and we can bring that sense of joy in, in many different right. ways for me you know i i put myself like if i wouldn't want to work in this company yeah. i wouldn't want to expect anyone else to work there yeah. and so there are different ways of getting becoming successful yeah. and, and without naming names of companies, there are some very successful multi-unicorn businesses out there. But yep. if you look at their people practices, it, it's appalling. Yeah, right. And that's not the kind of business I would ever yeah. want to build and I yeah. wouldn't recommend. So it's not about growing mm. and being successful at all costs for me. Mm. With all of my ventures, there's been mm. a very strong social mission, whether it be mm. around giving school students a voice in their education when I was 17, yeah. helping students find internships and yeah. startups, working on Startup Britain with the government yeah. in 2010, or Learnably, yeah. there's always been about giving people an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and f- therefore, it's really important for me that the team that are yeah. at Learnably and all of my ventures really do feel like they can be their true yeah. selves, they can feel fulfilled and have that sense of purpose and joy yeah. when they're coming to work. Nice. I guess there's an obvious incongruency if that's not the case, but have you seen an experience because of your sort of closeness to the scale up market, I suppose we'll, we'll shift to, that there is a kind of tipping point or a, a, a you know a, an inflection point perhaps where it stops being fun camaraderie and everybody mucking in to we'd better get a bit more mature and formalised and so on. Have you seen where that happens? Yes, yeah, that definitely definitely does happen and i think right. you know the, the the when you go above probably even when you go above like 50 60 people yeah. uh, you, you do start to have more kind of systems and processes yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean you can't have fun no. but i think things just you just yeah. generally kind of grow up a yeah. bit more and yeah. things are just different yeah. and i think in a life cycle of a company you need to recognize that there is the scrappy yeah. startup phase yeah. where you've got like you know 10 people yeah. working in a room yeah. to actually when you've got 50 100 yeah. to a few hundred and then and as you kind of progress and go bigger yeah. um the dynamics will yeah. change yeah. it doesn't mean you have to compromise on your values like no. as a company you know we we're really focused on having a high performance kind of culture but one where people do feel engaged, feel a sense of belonging and and, and not to the detriment of their health at all. So it's not about hustle and burnout kind of culture at all. So I think they don't have to be at odds. And so growing intentionally as a business, I think is really important for me me as a founder, which is why, you know, putting people and and the people agenda is is first and foremost. On all of my around all of my thinking around how I yeah. build learnably as a business, yeah. and I think that should be music to the ears of people tuning into this because I'm guessing they're tuning into it because that's an aspiration or perhaps an ideology of theirs, and they're thinking about how to enact that. I knew of one company in software that I came across a few years ago who adopted the Robin Dunbar principle of 150 people mm-hmm. maintaining a relationship meant if there was more than 150, they'd kind of spin out to another location. 
communication. So they were kind of mindful, I guess, of the the ability to hold relationships um, in in that sort of sense and that fashion. But as you say, it, it doesn't have to be that high performance and formality equals suddenly sanitization and rigor and dullness. No. Absolutely. And I think one thing I would say is, is on reflection, we hired our head of people experience and she was our 50th employee. Now, if I took, if I round black the clock, I would have hired her earlier. I would have probably hired her at 25 or 30. I think that is something that a lot of founders, particularly in tech companies, kind of get wrong is they wait too long before hiring a senior people professional. We obviously had a a people person, but a very junior person before her, but actually bringing her in and being able to provide that kind of support and create the people experience for our team was was really essential. And I think you can never start that too early in a business. Yeah, great point. And I know from my research this year on investors, investors ask questions about people, culture and so on much earlier in the conversation than just product and revenue projections and so on. So, So I think the world has turned its attention to people, learning, culture, and as you say, people experience a lot more actively, and I think for good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't get away from it. You've got platforms like Glassdoor. You've got people that are publicly reviewing you. Um, You've got G2 reviews that are left by your users. Everything is more transparent in this day and age. And so this is not just lip service. Like There's a business case for doing it as well. But ultimately, you're only as good as your people. So if you don't have people that are, that want to be there, that are feel engaged, motivated, then what's the point? Exactly that. And we've had people on this podcast series who have absolutely backed what you've said, Rajiv. So thank you for that. And I guess we could look at it that the phenomena of, um, you know, Glassdoor and platforms that are available as an outlet and a voice um, wasn't available 15, 20 years ago. So um, there's that accessibility but I think people have a clearer sense of what good work looks like would you agree with that? Yeah I think so and I think if you think about the the newer generations entering work they have a very low tolerance for you know they they didn't know what they want and what they they don't want and so they're not going to tolerate yeah. Uh, poor yeah. behavior and poor, like a company yeah. with 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 no values and morals yeah. or way of acting and so yeah. I think it, if you haven't got your 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 stuff together, you yeah. are going to have people just walk out on you. Yeah. So whether you wait for that review to yeah. land on Glassdoor or not, you need to be proactive sure. um, because people know what they're looking for and what yeah. they're not looking for. Yeah. And I think we've perhaps moved the um, career point that you kind of have those aha moments a lot nearer to it, perhaps even before you step into career. Uh, so I think back to my first time in the workplace, which is a long time ago now, um, I was fortunate in that I had a good experience. But of course, I don't think people, um, put it to chance so much do they no uh, absolutely yeah, they'll they'll ask their friends they'll do their research yeah. um, and they won't be afraid to just you know recognize you know probation is a two-way thing yeah, and if yeah. it's not working out i will leave yeah. just as much as you might want to fire yeah. me um obviously it is a it is a tighter kind of job yeah. climate at the moment and so there may be more kind of hesitation to move yeah. around and whatnot but i think you know as employers you shouldn't take things for granted yeah. and you should always ask yourself how can i do better uh, and keep pushing the boundary around creating the best experience. I like it. You just made me sort of conjure up the thought in my mind that if people think their learning kind of, uh, I suppose you'd say, journey takes a different turn when they go from academia or you know, education into the work environment, yes, it does, but it's almost got a, a stronger sense of customization, I suppose, or personalization. Yeah. Um, 
So if if uh, if somebody knocked on your door and said uh, we'd really like you to advise UK PLC about some learning and skills and sort of I suppose you'd say employability options. I mean, now there are a few things that you would like to sort of press go on some kind of big ticket manifesto or um, activation campaign. Is there a few of those things? Yeah, I mean, might? I would I would say that actually reframing how we look at learning and development so moving away from it being seen as a tick box compliance yeah. function yeah. to really about unleashing the potential of your people yeah. Yeah. to you know giving people that sense of autonomy giving them yeah. that ownership and agency yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you know that's very that's by, why the philosophy of learning is by giving them access yeah. to a marketplace, giving them that yeah. choice. You can kind of exhibit, you can see yeah. so much more and learn so much more about your people yeah. um, and recognizing that actually it's not about just um, doing your tick box yeah. kind of health and safety yeah. training, whatever it might be. Those things are important, yeah. but actually having a, a broader perspective yeah. on people's growth and development yeah. is good for yeah. you and it's good yeah. for it's good for the company and good for yeah. the employee at the same time nice i think there's something about discovering who you are as much as discovering what you're good at right there's there's, there's and those two are not competing factors all the time but when there's a harmony i'm sure that's what um, we're looking for. Yeah, and I think I think L and D historically has has had a reputation. Oh, this is one of the first things that get cut when times are tough. Yeah. But actually, I think we're seeing a change, and that's not necessarily yeah. playing out, particularly yeah. in the current climate, yeah. where they recognise that the market is tightening. Yeah. You do need to upskill. You need to reskill. Yeah. You need to engage the people you've got. Yeah. So I think that is encouraging. I would say is one of the things yeah. that we are seeing. It's not just being Good. shut down and, and cut cut off because I think they recognize that employees won't tolerate that yeah. and I think it's in, it's now a hygiene factor yeah. for people entering the workforce yeah. that, that they will be supported by their employer yeah. therefore you cannot just play lip service to yeah. it anymore I think there's that quote isn't there you know what if we train them and they leave and then it's like but what if we don't and, and they, they stay, stay right? absolutely I mean, it's a bit of a cliche but it's absolutely right so I, I'm I'm heartened to hear that not only are you leading the charge for choice and much more of the connection to people having fulfilling careers both through a product lens and through an ethos lens but you're also sensing that we're not going to make the mistakes of the past where we actually curb learning just at the time we need it the most exactly yeah, yeah. and i think for any company that's thinking about fueling performance yeah. you cannot just pay lip service to it like you a lot of these companies also have the issue of having a lot of first-time managers. Yeah. So if you've grown really quickly, oh, it's sure. inevitable that you have a lot of managers who have never been managers yeah. before. So you really need to think about how am I investing yeah. in that in that layer of people because yeah. these are the culture carriers. These are the yeah. people that are going to really support the development of everyone yeah. else in the business. So first you need to support them, give yeah. them the training and support they need. Yeah. But also if they are a first-time manager, they're not necessarily going to have all of the knowledge at their fingertips of, no. okay, how what do I recommend to, sure. to my direct report to mm. help them and, and help yeah. them grow? So really yeah. equipping your 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 managers and teams with the tools that they need yeah. to have a powerful development conversation is essential to boost performance in a business mm. because you can't just expect people to perform and not support them yeah. without the right resources. We'd probably call that learning in the flow of work, wouldn't yep. we? And Absolutely. I guess what I've really sort of picked up from you that this is also about learning in the flow of careers and learning in the flow of entrepreneurialism, which I think is a lovely way to kind of think about the whole sense of something being me discovering and assembling, I suppose, my future. 
Oh, that's a very nice way to finish up. Um, but before I do, anything that you'd like to add that I haven't asked you about? No, I mean, this, is, this has been a great conversation. Thank really you. enjoyed it and, yeah. you know, a trip down memory lane. Oh, but as nice. I said, I'm really positive and optimistic about the future. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of it's heartening to see some of the the kind of changes that are, that are taking place. Yeah. Uh, and thank you for having me on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. And I'm so glad we've got somebody who's got an entrepreneurial spirit with not only learning to fuel that, but learning as a product of it. So um, Rajiv Day, thank you very much. Thank you very much.